0: Talking landscape photography with Christian Fletcher and Carwin. Eddie's like-minded with uh, myself, Carwin, and Christian Fletcher, who's joining us live from the Dunsborough Doomsday Bucca, also known as uh, his studio, and uh, joined today too by Sir Peter Eastway. Now, Fletcher, you uh, had a question for Pete. Do you think
1: there is still a photography business that's available to people and to young people that are coming up through the ranks?
2: I actually think that if you and I were starting off in photography today, you know, we would be doing things a little bit differently. So, for instance, you look at the internet and you look at how many businesses are out there who need video and stills to populate their websites. And there are younger photographers that are getting into it and what they don't necessarily have is the business skills, but they're getting a lot of work doing video, doing time-lapse, you know, doing 3D stuff. There's a lot of business out there that you and I would have been into if we were 30, 40 years younger. Um, People are still getting married. People are still needing family photos done, but there are a lot more photographers out there competing. And so it's actually never been any different in many ways it's always been the top 10 to 15% of photographers who were making a good living and the other 85% that just did photography part-time or, you know, they they would sit in front of their computers and play Photoshop and think that they're out there marketing their business. The people that are going to succeed are those who are business people just as much as they are photographers. And Mm. I think, I, I just look around at the people who are being successful, they're doing very well. They might not be making quite the same money that you and I made 20, 30 years ago when photography came out of a magic room called a dark room and we could charge more. So the market has become less profitable, but there, in comparison to other jobs that you can get, I still see that there is a market out there for the small few who are willing to learn how to be business people as well as photographers.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important point. You, you do need to be a business person because yeah, that's, that's almost as important and and I mean you talked about your social media and stuff and and yeah you, you know you get a lot of these young guys now that are um social media savvy and they they have hundreds of thousands of followers mm. and I mean uh that that's so much more important I mean that didn't exist when we were starting out I mean there was we were shooting film there was no serious computers photoshop was may on may not have been there it wasn't there when I started I don't think I actually might have been um, and definitely, there's no digital, so things were a hell of a lot different. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's I think as being an, one of the older guys in the in the game, and like yourself, one of the older guys in the game, you, I always you know question my relevance and whether I'll be able to evolve quickly enough, or, or you know, with the, with the young guys. So. Yeah, that's. that's
2: yeah, I, I, I think the difference is that for a lot of us older guys is we we, we used to know what it was like to charge three grand, five grand for a, a day shoot or for a couple of photos. And of course, there'll be some people who might listen to this and think, geez, that was cheap. Um, whereas today, a lot of people are happy to do it for 500 and they think, wow, $500 a day is good income. But when you do the maths, when you add in the cost of running a studio, all your equipment, et cetera, which you still need to have today to some extent, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't add up. It is, it is harder. But the, as I said, there are those guys out there. They're not generally members of organisations. They're more lone mavericks. And, you know, you get to meet them from time to time and they are doing very, very well. And they're quite happy to keep how they're doing it quite quiet and to themselves. But, mm-hmm. you know, over the years of inter- interviewing my favourite photographers, I used to ask them um, two questions. And these are photographers from all around the world was, you know, one, where do your ideas come from, which I always found was mm-hmm. fascinating. And two, how come you are able to be successful? And the people who were successful, they always did one thing, and that was they planned. It was business planning. They sat down and they said, here I am today Where do I want to be in the future? And then they worked out a plan to get them there. I mean, we all look at Annie Leibovitz and say, wow, she's famous. She did so well. Well, you know, reports tell me that she had three full-time PR people for 20 years working for her. Of Mm. course we know who she is. How many people spend that amount of time on PR? The good photographers will shoot two days a week and market themselves three days a week. Most people going into photography just want to sit back, take a few photos, and earn millions of dollars. That has never existed. That will never exist.
0: I saw a thing on YouTube the uh, the other day with Brian Adams, who um, you know, of course, is Canada's biggest export since uh, since Nickelback. Um, but um, look, he's he's a face shooter. He's he's a fashion photographer now. I'm not sure whether you guys are, are aware of this, but he's actually quite an evolved. Um, Photographer, and it's quite interesting because you just you know when you know before I, I watched this um this thing about him did a bit of study you just sort of think oh well, that's you know just a, another rock star he's just managed to you know he's got the, the cash to buy a decent camera system he wants to go and take a few photos of his mates and all that sort of stuff, but the guy is a serious shooter, and um you know the 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 planning that goes into a to a photo shoot is is quite. Is, is quite involved. And we look at Annie Leibovitz's work, and I've, I've seen behind the scenes of her shoots, not in person, but on YouTube. And, um, you know, just... She knows where everything's going. Like, she knows <laughs> she's got a plan for every part of that shoot. And I just sort of think that um, this new generation of shooters now, shooting for Instagram and, and Facebook, are just, you know, there's a great scene, bang, take the photo, you know, that happened. But these these um, these great shooters, if you like... Um, These famous shooters are just are just putting so much planning into it and so much planning into the business. Like Brian Adams is 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 a full time pro. He he shoots fashion for a living.
1: He doesn't have to because he's still
0: you know dining out on Summer of '69. But uh,
1: you know, yeah, it's it's nice when you've got a bit of money in the bank and you can just go off and have fun and enjoy your photography. Yeah, that'd be nice. I remember those (laughs) days.
2: <laughs> so, well, well, if you manage to focus your photos, Christian, you could do that as well, you know, mate.
1: Well, no, hey, speaking of focusing, um, you know, I was just using the new IQ4 the other week, and I know that you've had a go as well, and the, the live view is very good on it, but how's the buddy dynamic range on that camera? I was. I, 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 I you mean, Tony came up with the idea that you just need to focus that thing and not worry about your exposure because yeah, anything you yeah. can dial in with works. How many and, stops is it? I don't
2: know. Well, it's at least 16. It might be a bit more. I'm not too sure. Um, but I've also found I, I used the – you would have had the same 32 mil that um, we had, I guess. Yeah. And I used Schleimflug's principle for depth of field, and I couldn't get over how well that worked. And you know it's only a, a you know a 32 mil, which is a very wide-angle lens on medium format. It's just a you're only really tilting the lens um, by you know half a millimeter or whatever. But once you tilt it and then refocus, <clears throat> I was getting the foreground, which might have been two feet away, to infinity, just as sharp as sharp can be. It really does change that plane of, um, fo- of yeah, focus, and you don't need to focus stack. It was yeah. just. You know, bottom to top, I've got the picture in my um, my window, I did a big uh, two metre print of it just to have a look at it. I couldn't get over how sharp it was just doing that slight little bit of a tilt. When you've got the tilt shift lenses on the Nikons and the Canons, etc., it still works, but it's really dicky. It's hard because when you're using like the 17 mil, which is very wide, the tilt is really just so small that it's actually physically hard to do it and to get it in the right place. And somehow or other, when I was using the uh, the IQ4, I managed to, to jag it <clears throat> and just tilt it that right bit. And oh, it was sort of like an hallelujah movement, uh, a moment. I've known about Schleinfuchs principle all my life. I've talked about it, written articles. I've used it. um used to use it in the old days with 4x5 sheet film. But, jeez, it worked really well um, a couple of weeks back. That was r- yeah. remarkable.
1: Yeah, and that's a bit of a game changer for, for using the phase because... You know, depth of field is always an issue especially when you're yeah. making the big big prints and to be able to do that in one shot actually i found those yeah you, know, you can nail it every now and then if if you're doing your focus stacking and like especially when i've been using my 28 mil there'll be one photo in that stack that just about covers everything pretty well yes. yeah. so yeah, yeah. you just you just nail the hyperfocal distance perfectly somehow um, so that, that's always good but yeah you know it'd be nice not to have to take multiple shots to to get the one good one the, the, the but it,
2: it's not a hard process, though, is it? But I, I'm just no, saying you, if I'm processing it, <clears throat> it's easier just to work with one frame. Yeah. <coughs> Actually,
1: they're 833 megs each. <laughs> That's You know, get a few of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's big. Yeah. Can I just ask a really learner question? Can you guys just explain hyperfocal? No one seems to be able to explain it correctly. Can you guys have a crack at it?
2: Well, we'd have to charge you for that advice, but I guess we could do it. <laughs> so... When when we have um, when we focus a lens, there is only one plane of critically sharp focus that can never change. It's and that so that that plane is this. It's um, parallel to your sensor. So yeah, it's like holding a sheet of paper and walking out into the distance, and that's that sheet of paper represents what you can focus on. However, our eyes can only perceive a certain amount of absolute sharpness, and so something that's almost sharp to our to our eyes looks as though it is sharp and as you stop down your lens as you take your lens from a wide aperture like f2.8 down to a small aperture like f16 that area where the image appears to be sharp um, grows forwards and backwards and so that's increasing your depth of field now depth of field extends behind the point of focus and in front of the point of focus So if you focus at infinity, any depth of field behind infinity is wasted. So what you do is you find a point closer than infinity where the depth of field extends out to infinity, plus it extends forward of that point, and that's your hyperfocal focusing point. It gives you the greatest depth of field that's possible uh, with the lens camera combination that you've got. Wow. Mm.
1: Nicely said, Pete. I was going to say it just like that, um, that (laughs) and I thought I'd just... You know, and because I wasn't getting paid, I thought, well, I'll let you. <laughs> well, you, fair
2: you, enough, Christian. Yeah, take I'm it not. For the I'll, I'll send you the bill later right?
1: on. Yeah. <laughs> now, isn't the one third come forward and two thirds of that focus goes back? Isn't that the? That, that's
2: that's a, a rough rule of thumb, but it can vary depending on the lens. I I don't get into the the mathematics of all of that. Um But that's that's right, r- roughly. Yeah. I think that's right. Is it one third behind or two thirds behind? I always um,
1: forget. Two thirds behind, one third forward.
2: But basically, it's a practical thing. I, you find infinity, and then I, I bring it forwards a little bit and take the photograph. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: so scientific. Jeez, Pete,
2: I, uh, I shoot down down to F11. I normally don't go to F16 or F22, but uh, I normally try to stick at F11. And then, I, I'm like you, Christian, if it's a really good shot, I focus that. So you yeah. collect all the pixels that you need, underexpose the, the infinity focus one as well, and then you've got, Enough pixels to do whatever you want to in the future. That's in post production.
1: I have to apologise too, Pete, because there was that time you took that photo out in the eastern Pilbara and you, uh, you with a, a landscape with really shallow depth of field. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and I didn't like it, but, but you know, I've matured. My taste have matured since then, and I actually like that now. That that. Oh, local... I don't.
2: I think it was a bad shot. Now. It, yeah. It was a bad <laughs> shot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, no, no. There, there is I, some I merit in that it. shot recently
2: for a calendar coming up in uh, 2020. So I'll, I'll, I'll find out who the calendar manufacturer is and let you know so you can buy one. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: sold that <laughs> oh, shot. All right. It just it goes to like show it. that. Yep, yep. So it's money. interesting
2: that just somebody else had impeccably good taste, like you've just discovered, Christian. It's yeah. good to see.
1: <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. That was that <laughs> wasn't one of your finer moments, but um, but you know, <laughs> talk. I mean, but actually, have you tried that um, that process where you you know you shoot a landscape, shoot with a very long lens. I can't even remember what it's called now. You know, remember uh, longer lengths, longer focal length. So short tally or something like that. Open it wide up to whatever f 2.8, but the widest it can go. Focus on your subject and then stitch stitch all uh, whole heap of them together to create a yep. wide angle view, yep. and then you put them all together and you get this a uh, telephoto shallow depth of field with a wide angle view now what's that process called can you remember what that's called
2: well, well i mean that's just as you describe it you're just basically stitching images together but what you're what, what you're really doing is creating a large format effect so if you're using a 300 mm lens on an 8x10 camera uh, that's sort of like a standard moderately wide lens on that format i think that's right don't i you know someone will tell me whether i'm right or wrong mm. but when we use a 300mm with a medium with a DSLR at f2.8 the depth of field is super shallow so what yeah. you're basically doing is stepping back and using that 300 and just building the image up it gives you a wider angle but you've got that really shallow depth of field that's the same depth of field effectively that you've got on 8x10 and when we used to shoot large format you know we always had challenges with depth of field because there was such shallow depth of field but again it's just what the eye can see and doesn't see interesting isn't that uh, ansel adams was part of the group f64 and you used to think why the hell would you shoot with f64 because diffraction kicks in at um f16 Mm. at f64 it must have been pretty bloody horrible back then but i guess you know people say well they were shooting with a with a large 8x10 neg and they were only making an 8x10 print it didn't really matter it looked
0: pretty damn good yeah yeah peter just explain the zone system for us (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right,
2: well, so this is going for three hours, isn't
1: it? <laughs> wow. So, does
2: does zone, anybody understand it besides Adams, to, I mean, the zone system applies. It's much easier these days. But in, in the old days, when you had a light meter and you were processing your negative and then your print, what, what Ansel Adams was trying to do was create a system where you could place a black and white value um on a on a scale from black to white and he said skin for a a caucasian person is around about zone six in other words zone five was a middle gray zone six was a light gray and so he would basically set everything up so that when he made a print the print the tones on the print over the skin would be that zone six would be a light gray and everything else would fall into place we don't need to worry so much about that anymore because we've got a histogram. People ask, what's the correct exposure? Uh, Do I add exposure, subtract exposure? I say, I don't know. Look at your histogram. Because as long as your histogram is in the middle, as long as the graph isn't touching the right or the left, you've got all the values that are in the scene. And then you put it into Capture One, Lightroom, Photoshop, whatever it is, and you get your exposure slider and you go left or right, until you get the values that you want, until it looks good on the screen. So the zone system was really important in terms of pre-visualizing uh, what you're going to end up in terms of film, because you, you you had all these steps before you ended up in the final print. But for us these days and the tools that we've got, the zone system is useful to understand that there are 10 zones from black to white, but that's just like looking at your histogram, which is 256 zones, or, you know, 254 values mm. between white and black, um, which we can allocate anywhere we like. So we say, all right, well, I've got a, um, a skin tone. I might want to make that a value of 160 out of 256, um, something like that. But I don't ever do that. I use a good quality monitor. I use Azo monitors. So what I see is what I get, and then I lighten or darken it until the image is correct on the screen. A lot of people say, what lens should I buy next? And I say buy a good quality colour monitor. Don't look at the monitors you've got on your laptops and all that sort of stuff. They are, they're never going to match some of the photo-type screens. I mean, Azo are a little bit more expensive, but mm. they are worth every cent because when every time I'm making an adjustment to my file on screen, I'm lightening or darkening it. Am I doing that to the file or just to the picture on the screen? You're right. Well, when I'm using an Azo, I'm doing it to... To both, because they're the same. Mm. But, you know, when you go into a uh, a department store and you're buying a television and they're playing the same Disney character or whatever on all 24 screens, Mm. and one's green, one's blue, one's dark, Mm. one's light, one's contrasty. So when you're looking at your monitor, which are you looking at? What is your monitor showing you? And so that's why you need to have a good quality screen. You need to calibrate it so that you know that what you're looking at is actually what the file is, what, what you're recording in the file. Without a good quality monitor, you have got no hope of being consistently good as a photo yeah. editor. Oh, Here enters okay.
1: the lesson. Are you um, sponsored by Azo? Yes, I'm <laughs> sponsored yeah. by Azo,
2: Canon, <laughs> Epson, uh, uh, Datacolor, Shannon, uh, wait, uh, phase one. who else? We've got Capture One. one um, uh, yeah,
1: others,
0: was,
2: yeah. Uh, Sandisk. Uh, I forget a couple of others. Yeah. Yeah
0: next where' to from here, mate? What's, what, what's next you know for Sir Peter eastway a knighthood well
2: what's next what's next where's is right I've, I've, I've got a garage which is full of books and I've got to sell them
1: wow. <laughs> how many you got so left? I guess,
2: oh no I've, I've got uh well I printed a thousand so I just went small printed a thousand I've got about 600 left yeah so well. I, I've covered yes. I've covered my costs so I'm, I'm happy but I would like to now make a profit and sell some of them
1: out yeah, you've got to get that car back in the garage. I've got
2: to get the car back in the garage, that's right. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, i published a book called The New Tradition, and I guess that's my next project over the next couple of years is to give talks around the country talking about the book and then hopefully in- encouraging people to, to buy a few. I've got very good reviews about it. It's, it's called The New Tradition, and the idea is that as we look back on Ansel Adams and Cartier-Bresson and we say, those were the masters, we want to copy them. What we sometimes forget is that what they were doing was pushing technology at the time. They were getting the most they could out of their gear, out of their materials. And so for us to do the same as them today is daft hmm. because our technology and our materials are so far
0: advanced. It doesn't apply anymore. friend of
2: mine asked Ansel <clears throat> Adams, Uh, He was young. Ansel was old. He said to Ansel, what would you do if you were my age? And Ansel said to him, you know, there's this new thing coming called electronic imaging. I wish I was going to be around to explore that. See, these guys were all trailblazers. And so my view is that the people um, in the last 20 odd years who have been pushing photography are possibly going to be the trailblazers that the generations in the next 10, 20, 30 years look back on for guidance on how to take photography. And by writing this book, I'm saying I'm one of those people. I told you I was arrogant, <laughs> didn't I?
1: <you know? laughs> Runaway ego. I'm
2: not, I'm not really saying I'm one of these people, but I'm, I'm, I'm just putting the idea forwards and you know, ho- hoping people like the photos.
0: Peter, you if, um, if somebody wanted to get that book, how, how would they get their hands on a copy? You go to
2: betterphotography.com and you'll find uh, the opportunity to purchase it there. And if they're really keen, if the real way to uh, to explore and understand the beauty of a photographic print. After they've bought one of Christian's prints, they can also buy one of my prints. I've got small photographer editions, I call them. They're A2 size prints, which you, you can package with the book as well. And that you get to pick one of 10 photos from the book and um, away you go.
0: Christian, oh, if, uh, if somebody wanted to buy one of your prints, how could they make that happen today? Ah... Uh... Well, it couldn't happen
1: today. I'm I'm sitting in my sea container talking to you guys. so <laughs> In the Duns- printed- uh, Dunsborough Duns- Doomsday Bunker. Yeah, but look, I can I can have one knocked out in about an hour. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> just- If you'd like to get your hands on one of those, just get over to uh, christianfletcher.com.au. That's it for the podcast this week. This is Light Minded. If you want to uh, check us out on Instagram, just do a search for Light Minded Podcast. Light minded podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, uh, just send it to lightminded617 at gmail.com. We'll be back next week.